the lest we forget, make a list of things you are thankful for that God has given you that you will need to remember during this final stage. So when it all comes down, all boils down, what is it that we really need to remember? What do you got? The Word. The Word. Bible. The Spirit of God will sustain you. To sustain you. Safety from His wrath. He will protect us. He will never leave us. Spiritual upbringing. Legacy that we have. His faithfulness. I think also we need to, it's at that point that the church really needs to unite. Um, The believers that are still here really need to come together um, (coughs) in support of one another. (coughs) Anything else? His mercy endureth forever. Now would be a great time to start putting those promises to memory um, and, and begin memorizing the promises of God, what he has promised us through his scripture. Um, because there, there may also come a time when Bibles are no longer allowed. Then what are you going to do? Um, we need to be putting it to memory. Uh, God has written it on our hearts, but what we put into memory, he is then able to pull out. If we don't put it in, he can't pull it out at the time. Book of Romans, fantastic. Chapter 5. All throughout, chapter 5 really talks about the blessings that we have (coughs) in him. So, So just memorize the book of Romans, and then you'll, you'll have it. You'll do that, okay? I've always said if I... You know, I ever got stranded and I was only allowed one book, it would be the Bible. If I was only allowed one part of the Bible, it would be the book of Romans. That's what I would want because it's all, everything we need is in there um, with that. So tonight we are going to hit chapter 17 and 18. We're going to talk about the fall of Babylon the Great. Um, and this is very symbolic section as well as a lot of repeat. We've kind of already talked about some of it in And John is just now seeing it in a little bit different, in a different vision. Um, And uh, so we're going to dive into that. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then uh, we will begin. Father, we are thankful that you are a God who will never leave us nor forsake us, and that you have written your, your word upon our heart. Father, I pray that we would become students of your word. Uh, that we would become theologians, that we would become studiers of you and knowers of you. Uh, Father, that, uh, that we would be preparing for the days ahead, not, not, just, not just to be prepared, but because the day is approaching and we need to sense an urgency uh, in, in Jesus' return. Uh, Father, there are much, there's much work to be done. There are many more to be reached. And uh, so, Father, make us diligent and help us to not grow weary uh, in well-doing. And uh, we just pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here we are in uh, Revelation chapter 17. And we see that one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, one of them, comes over and is, uh, calls John. 
John is summoned by one of these seven angels, and he's now going to see the judgment of what we what is called the great prostitute, uh, the great Babylon, um, <clears throat> and uh, so this is. Uh, the same angel that appears in, in 21, verse 9, which we will get to in a couple weeks. Um, and right now, this angel is going to reveal to him the characteristics and the downfall, the, the ultimate destruction of this great prostitute, the, the city of the, the uh, great Babylon. In chapter 21, he's going to give us the characteristics of Christ who's coming in, conquering. And so we have the two sides beginning now to be laid out. Um, <clears throat> we do have to kind of do away with the timeline. Don't try to put this in. Well, is this happening after or before? This is just a picture he's seeing of this person and this beast and the waters. And, and I think it's just another opportunity for us to, to get a clearer picture of the enemy of who it is that we are up against, who we are dealing with, what we are dealing with. Um, and so it doesn't really fit into a timeline. Like I said, in fact, we're going to go back kind of and, and we're talking about the same characters that appeared in chapter 13. Um, and we're just seeing them in a little bit different light at a slightly different time. And so this angel that's going to uh, describe the, the prostitute to us is also later going to describe Christ to us. And uh, those are the two sides that we are dealing with from this point on. So we have in chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, this woman on the beast. So uh, let's just look at those verses, and then we'll just begin kind of stepping our way through them. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adultery. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. So here we have the great prostitute, is, is who John has taken, has been summoned to come and see, and, and the angel wants to describe for him and show him what is going to become of her. Um, and uh, so the Old Testament because sometimes we have a hard time with uh, the, the whole idea of her being a prostitute. That's some word you usually don't hear in church. Um, don't use it a lot. Uh, King James and some of the other versions use a harlot. Um, I don't know if that's better or worse. It's probably better because it's different. And a lot of people won't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> but to make it clear, he uses the word prostitute. And the Old Testament uses that imagery a lot um, to show spiritual apostasy uh, spiritual adultery, a, following, a uh, falling away from God and not following after God. Um, and it's a, a, uh, uh, this, this whole idea of loving the world versus loving God. And so here we have this great prostitute, this one who ultimately is the opposite of God. It's, it's everything 
worldly. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 21 says, See how the faithful city has become a prostitute. She once was full of justice, righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. Jeremiah 2 says, You are a swift she-camel running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving. In her heat, who can restrain her? Any males that pursue her need not tire themselves. At mating time, they will find her. Okay, this is, I, I mean, okay, the imagery is not something we usually, again, pull up in church, but this is what God is saying. This is the, the detestableness of this, that it is, it is sin run rampant. Uh, they're saying in Jeremiah that, you know, it's a, it's a wild donkey, and that if men are trying to find her, they're not going to have to look real hard. She's going to make herself very available. And so you have this part of society, this, this great prostitute that is making herself very much available to the world, to, to anyone and everyone. Hosea chapter 2, verse 5, their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. Now, if you remember when we walked through the, uh, the minor prophets uh, here recently, uh, Hosea was the one that God instructed him to marry the prostitute. And because the children that he would have with her were going to be symbolic of the direction Israel was going. And so anytime Israel is going the wrong way, it is a spiritual adultery situation and uh, is, is how it is referenced, the, the picture that is painted. Nahum chapter 3 verse 4 says, Many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations, by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. And so when we think this prostitution, we really have to think not so much in the sexual end of the word, but in just this philosophy, this, this mindset of sinfulness, of depravity. Uh, that's really what this is, what she is representing, what this great prostitute, the, the Babylon the Great, is representing. Now in Nahum, they were talking about Nineveh. Uh, <clears throat> is what those words were, were dealing with. Isaiah 23 uh, talks about another city called Tyre. It says, take up a harp, walk through the city, you forgotten prostitute, play the harp well, sing many a song so that you will be remembered. At the end of 70 years, the Lord will deal with Tyre. She will return to her lucrative prostitution and will ply her trade with all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. And so this is a, <clears throat> this is a mass depravity. It's not just localized. This is the world. This is the system of the world, the, a worldview, if you will. It's a way of thinking, um, and, and it is rampant, and it is totally set up against God. Um, here, the, the prostitute stands opposed to everything that is right, everything that is good. Um, it is uh, seductive. Uh, kings and inhabitants of the earth are going to be drawn to it, because it's going to be made to look good, sound good. Uh, you can get rich. You can have anything and everything you want. Um, and she's always seen uh, with wine, which is kind of a, a slow. It's not a bam, here it is. It's a slow intoxicating. 
Okay, it's, it's, it, they drink and they drink a little more and a little more and their inhibitions go down and down and down and down until eventually, boom, she has them. Till the, that worldview, that, that system of thinking has them. And so it's a seductive over time type of thing. Um, those reading this from John, those seven churches would see the prostitute as Rome, uh, but it really stands for uh, the worldliness that exists at any time. Uh, in any place, any world power that seeks to move people away from truth and righteousness, any world power, any government system that wants to move people away from the Bible, move them away from God, move them away from truth, would fall under this category, would be seen as Babylon the Great. Uh, And so any of those world systems, uh, so Nineveh, Tyre, Rome, uh, Jezebel as a person, all are represented as a, as a great prostitute. Um, and so while these world empires rise and fall, ultimately it is God who is in control. There is that system out there. Okay, we see it. You see it. You don't have to go very far in our country to see it. It's there. It, it's, it's active where we live. Uh, and so it's not so much a particular place or a particular person, but it is a worldview. It is a philosophy, a way of thinking. Um, Chapter 17, verse 16, a little later in the same chapter, says, the beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat flesh and burn her with fire. Um, This is her ultimate end. This is what's going to happen uh, to her and anyone that that follows after her, that, that... uh, aspires to be like her or to be with her or to, uh, to become intimate with that world's thinking, with that way of thinking. Uh, that, is, that is the end. So we have this great prostitute is the first thing that, that uh, John sees. And she is sitting on the beast. Um, she sits on many waters, verse 2 says. Um, with her, the kings of the earth committed adultery um, and... Uh, and the earth were intoxicated with the wine. So the angel then said to me in, in verse 15, as he kind of tries to explain these waters, he said, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are people, multitudes, nations, and languages. So again, it's, it's, it's not a particular place. It's people. It's, it's society. It's a system of thinking um, with that. Peoples, multitudes, nations, languages, cultures, you could put in there. Um, Jeremiah chapter 51 says, the Lord will carry out his purpose, his decree against the people of Babylon. You who live by many waters and are rich in treasures, your end has come, the time for you to be destroyed. Now this is going back in the Old Testament to the actual Babylon, the one that that took the Jews uh, captive, enslaved them um, for those 70 years when Jeremiah was a part of that, Daniel was a part of that. and when Israel and Judah were both taken into captivity, that uh, this is what Jeremiah was saying, that the end will come, that Babylon will see her destruction. Well, now we're seeing it again personified in a world system rather than just a one-time location. And it says that you who live by many waters, Babylon was by the, geographically, uh, the river Euphrates, the Euphrates River, which is the large river that runs through that area, has all kinds of of waterways leading off of it. It was a lush area. 
um, wonderful place to actually live as far as farming and those kinds of things because the, uh, the soil and the area there was just rich uh, to be able to, to raise crops and, and succeed there. Um, and so we have this Babylon, this woman, sitting on the many waters, which would be like the Euphrates. That's kind of the picture that he is seeing. Um, and, and really it shows the vast influence, this whole idea of many uh, nations and, uh, and languages and cultures, the, the influence that this thinking has. And, and a lot of times we want to, and I'll probably talk about this later because I'm going to probably jump ahead of myself and get myself in trouble, but that's all right. Um, that, that part of the problem that we have, that, okay, I have, is that we sometimes want to categorize and we think believers and then, well, there's, there's Muslims and, and then there's, there's Buddhists and then there's you know, Hindu and then there's... The Bible only ever talks about two. God and not God. And, and we want to say, oh, we've got to, you know, we've got to, re- we've got to reach everyone who's not God. Um, and, and so we, we, don't, we, we have a tendency to categorize and, and think, well, some are closer than others, or some aren't as bad as others, or we need to really focus on... Not really. All through Revelations, I'm only seeing two groups, believers and unbelievers. Those who follow after God and those who here are following after the prostitute, this other worldview, this other way of thinking. Um, and so... We need to focus on all. We need to be concerned about this other way of thinking and that we are not sliding into it because it's very seductive. Many, many will, will find themselves drunk before they ever knew it, meaning many will find themselves living according to those, that way of life, that philosophy of thinking before they ever even realize they were walking away from God. That's how seductive it is. And so we have to know, uh, especially where, we're, where we are right now, knowing that this is in the future, we have to be gr- rooted. We have to be grounded in the Word. We have to know what it says and then live according to it. It won't be popular. We'll probably be very different. We may be ridiculed. Eventually, we'll be killed, possibly, for it. Jesus says, if the world hated you, hates you, Remember what? Hated him first. And so expect it. Okay, we're, we're going to be different. We're going to not be liked. And, and as this day approaches, as we get closer and closer, that, that gap between the two is going to become greater and greater and greater. It will be much easier to distinguish believer, unbeliever, sheep, goats. We're going to know. We're going to be able to know. So here he, he's taken and he sees this great prostitute sitting on many waters. And then John is now taken by way of the Spirit into a desert. And again, I don't know that he's actually taken into a desert or he just is taken to a vision of a desert. But he's, he's taken in the Spirit because that's kind of the phrase that, we, is it an actual where he's going or is it a vision in the Spirit? Um, but at any rate, God is leading him through this angel. The Spirit is leading him here. And... Uh, there are, there are four different times that that phrase in the Spirit is used. Um, very back at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 10, 
It says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient, uh, on the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice. And then in chapter 4, uh, verse 2, he says, at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne. So each time that this is happening, here in 17, and then again in chapter 21, which we'll get to in a couple weeks, uh, when he says he's in the Spirit, there's a, there's a vision in front of him. God is providing him uh, a revelation, is revealing to him uh, something very significant that he would not be able to see in any other way. Um, and so this phrase is used when, when talking of someone receiving a vision, almost like a dream maybe. Uh, there's, a, there's a picture, it's, a, it's a, a movie kind of playing out in front of him is what he is seeing. And he sees that this woman is on a scarlet beast. Uh, this is the same beast that was in chapter 13, the beast of the sea. Okay, there was that beast that came up out of the sea and we said it was the Antichrist. Then there was the beast that was on the earth and we said that was the false prophet. And then we had the dragon which was, the, the, uh, was Satan. So we had the Satan, the Antichrist, and the, the false prophet. Um, well, here we see that we have a little more information, at least in this vision, uh, that the beast is scarlet. He again has seven heads, ten horns, blasphemous names all over the, the heads. Um, he has an incredibly uh, great persecuting power. He's set out to destroy the saints, uh, to persecute them, uh, the church, the believers. Uh, And we see then that that he, remember, the the beast of the sea was political or spiritual? We had the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth. One was political, one was spiritual. Beast of the sea is political, political. This is going to be the kingdoms, the rulers, the government system is what the, the Antichrist will, will rule and, and set himself up as. And then the false prophet is going to be kind of his spokesman, and that's much more of the spiritual aspect of it. So here we have this, this the, the Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, riding on this scarlet beast. Scarlet is probably um, the only significance that I could find in my readings and in my study is that it matches the red dragon. The dragon was red and the beast is red because he, he really mimics in every aspect the dragon. I mean, his, as the Antichrist, he is the, the, the right-hand man of Satan, the, the dragon. And so he has this scarlet color with him. Um, and then we see again that the woman is sitting on the beast. The woman is dressed in purple and scarlet. Both of those are incredibly expensive dyes. So any clothing that would have been dyed purple or scarlet would have been very expensive. Um, And so we see some luxury here. Um, She has a golden cup in her hand. uh, She was glittering with gold. Uh, There there was some bling factor when when he looked at her. Dressed in purple and scarlet. Uh, so probably dressed to the T, to the nines. <laughs> I think that's an old phrase, isn't it? Dressed to the nines. It goes back away. The old people are going, uh-huh. <laughs> Anyone, me or older, <laughs> I knew it too. So she was dressed to the hilt with this uh, in, in purple and, and scarlet. She had gold glitter. I mean, she was sparkly. 
Um, she was attractive, no doubt. There was luxury, a golden cup in her hand. But in that golden cup, so to look at her, natural man would be drawn to her. But what was in that cup? Abominable things. I mean, what she was drinking, what she was handing out, what she was giving was abominations, was, uh, was blasphemy. Uh, was adulterous, seductive things to draw people to her. Um, it says that she was drunk with the blood of the saints. Uh, there, there was some, some carnal satisfaction in her that, that she had been able to kill saints, that she had been able to destroy Christians, to, to kill them. Uh, and she was pleased with that. Now, the world never can deliver what it promises Never. The world promises fame, promises fortune, promises power. And, and while intoxicating as all of that is, they will all lead to destruction without God. And that's what John is seeing with, with the, the woman sitting on the beast, with the great prostitute sitting on the beast, that with all of the alluring things, with all of the bling, with all of the promise, with all of the hope, none of it will be able to be fulfilled, that it will all lead to destruction. And so we have to watch our own life. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, because the unwise will get sucked in to the seductiveness, sucked into the temptation, sucked into the worldliness. But the wise will see it for what it is and stay away. And that's, that's the lesson for us right now. Know it for what it is. Uh, we, we can't take anything at face value. Uh, we've, we've talked about deception all the way through this. That, that he's the deceiver. That Satan is a deceiver and he will set out to deceive. He will set out to tempt. He will set out to seduce. And that's going to be a subtlety for believers. Just pull you a little bit. And then when you get comfortable, a little bit more. And then when you get comfortable, a little bit more. And he's going to hit us first with those spiritual disciplines. If I can just get you to not do those. If I can get you to not pray. If I can get you to not study your Bible. If I can get you to, uh, to not fast. If I can get you to not spend quiet time. And I mean silence, solitude by yourself. Not quiet time as in my 15 minutes with the upper room and, and the Bible. I mean quiet time. If I can just get you to not do those things, I don't, Satan doesn't really care what you do because you're going to be ineffective at it. If he can keep you from the spiritual disciplines, he will keep you ineffective. And so it is so important that we watch then how we live, not as unwise, but as wise. And it's those spiritual disciplines that are going to make us wise, that's going to set us apart, that's going to separate us from this worldview, this, this worldliness, this seductive thinking that will make us strong and keep us going in the right direction. And so the woman is setting herself up against all of that. And John is astonished at the sight of her in verse 6. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of those who bore testimony. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. He was taken aback. Whether it was the beauty or the realization of what she was doing, she was, he was astonished. Um, 
And I think part of the astonishment, too, was after being taken into the desert, because the desert usually is a place of judgment. I mean, there's not a whole lot of life going on in the desert. It is arid. It is rocky. It is dusty. There is nothing growing. There is no water. There is nothing. And he thought being taken to the, to the desert and then getting the vision of this prostitute on the waters, he was thinking, okay, destruction. She's going to get what's coming to her. And what did he see? He saw vibrance. He saw luxury. He saw what he thought was someone who appeared very victorious. He didn't see judgment. He saw victory in her. And I think that threw him back. And so the angel then says in verse 7, Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. Verse 8, The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. Who does that sound like? Once was, now is not, but will come. The one who was, who is, and is to come. You see that this whole, this, this beast that they are riding on, this beast of the sea is the Antichrist. He's going to mirror Christ in so many ways through his actions, not in his philosophy, not in his love, not in his grace, not in his mercy, but he's going to look like, talk like, sound like things of, of Christ. Um, and so here even the angels saying the people are going to see him as the one who was, who's not now, but who is coming, who, who will come uh, again. And so... Uh, this is the beast of chapter 13 that we said that received that death blow but survived remember one of the heads was 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 cut off was killed and yet he survived that that death blow and that astonished the people and so we're kind of mixing here 17 and 13 those stories are kind of coming in we're looking at two the same story in two different ways I don't know. I'd have to look it up. That's a good question. What was the death blow? And I don't know, right off the top of my head. So here we have this beast. Um, The unbelievers are going to stand in awe of him because of this resurrection. That was explained in chapter 13. Um, And what we have here in verse 8 is is not a teaching. Understand this. Okay, now some of you might disagree with me if you are predestination people. I'm not a predestination person. Uh, Where it says the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished. So the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, is a list of all of those believers. Um, And that book apparently was written from the creation of the world. Now, if there's not predestination, how do we explain that? How much does God know? Everything. So is it possible for him to list all of the people that are going to be in heaven prior to them even being born? Yes. Now, the fact that they are written in that book, does that predestinate them? No. He knows, so he can do it. But it's not, it's his foreknowledge. 
based on his foreknowledge, he is able to write that Lamb's book of life from the creation of the world. But that doesn't mean that people then are, from the time they are born, he knows, but people don't know. Because if, if and this is, this is my view, if that were true, if there are, you know, from the time they are born, well, they're going to go, then why worry about evangelizing? Why worry about missions? Why it's already decided. It's not decided. It's already known. Okay? God is other than us. We don't know it. He knows it. Okay? So those that are, uh, those that names are not uh, appearing in there are going to be astonished uh, at this. Um, and, and with his coming is going to come great persecution of the saints. It, and it, it's kind of difficult, again, because like I said, we're not really operating on a timeline, but we're getting various scenes of what is happening, various views, and this just paints a little bit bigger picture of what's going on in chapter 13. Um, we're getting a little better description, a little better explanation of what this beast uh, looks like. Verses 9 through 14. He says, this calls for a mind, okay, if we're going to understand this, okay, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. Okay, so seven kings, five of them have already reigned, they're done. One is reigning right now, and the seventh one is future, is yet to come. Um, but when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is, is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom. Okay, these are ten kings who have not yet reigned. They, they're not on the scene yet. But who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. That one hour comes into play in chapter 18. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Okay? Seven heads. So this, this beast has seven heads, These are, which they say are the seven mountains upon which the prostitute is sitting. Now, if you're John or you are his recipients of these letters, you immediately think of Rome. Because Rome was built on seven hills. Okay, it's a city on seven hills. And so you, your mind immediately goes to Rome. Um, and so, but symbolically for us, they represent that, that universal power of which Rome was a part, of which Babylon was a part, of which Nineveh was a part, of which Tyre was a part. Uh, and so, so we have this, this symbolic look of, of universal power against God throughout the ages. And it's going to come to light. Um, and so there, there's kind of a double meaning for John's readers. Rome would fall, but then today there's a world order that still kind of carries on that spirit of Rome, that, that spirit, that way of thinking of the great prostitute, the Babylon, the great. That spirit still exists, even though Rome fell. When Rome fell, it didn't destroy it. We don't have to look very far to realize that. It's still very active today, setting itself up against God, still persecuting uh, the saints. So 
They are seven kings, five are gone, one now, one yet to come. When we looked at this back uh, earlier in the, in the verses in chapter 13, um, we could see these seven kings as seven world empires. And we could see that there was Egypt, Nineveh, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. Those were the five that are gone. Rome is the one that is at the time of John's writing, of receiving the revelation, and there is one to come. And we said the one to come really is the nation of the dragon, the, the, the beast, the Antichrist. When he comes into power, when he comes in to set up his kingdom, um, that is the one that, that will be coming. And so John, John's focus is not on determining the past and really kind of understanding who the five are. He wants to point us to the future. He wants us to understand there is this kingdom out there, this worldly thinking, this worldview that exists that has been for all times. And when one nation rises up like Egypt, and then Egypt was destroyed, and another nation like Nineveh rises up, and Nineveh is destroyed, and, and Tyre rises up, and Tyre is destroyed, and the, and the Persians and the Babylonians and Persians and Greece and the Romans, when those are all rise up and then they are destroyed, they're always replaced. Because the spirit still exists, and the spirit is the problem. Okay? Not that nation. The spirit is the problem. That's, our, our, our battle is against who? Flesh and blood? No. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against the principalities and powers of the air. That, that system of thinking, that the supernatural. We're fighting against the spirit of the Antichrist. It talks about that in the New Testament throughout too. Um, that the spirit of the Antichrist who is already here. Um, and so then we see that this beast is going to be the eighth king, the Antichrist. Um, <clears throat> not, a, not a human ruler personifying evil, okay? Understand this, when, when Rome, when they had, you know, Caesar, Nero, he personified evil. He was an evil man, did evil, horrible things to the church, to the saints, but he personified evil. The eighth king, the Antichrist, is evil. He doesn't personify it. He is it. When they say God is love, okay, it's not that God has the characteristic of love, as if he could have the characteristic of not love. God is love. He's the definition of love. And so, you know, it's kind of impossible to understand what love is if you don't understand what God is or who God is. Well, it's tough to understand evil if you don't understand the Antichrist, this beast, because this beast is evil, okay? Not the personification of evil. He is evil by definition. God is love. The beast is evil, okay? Same type of same type of, of understanding, of thinking. Um, now I lost my place. Where are we at? Um, if we... The, the spirit of the Antichrist has come, but is always, has always been disguised. Let me think of it this way. It's always been disguised in humanity. Okay, Nero, Hitler. Uh, you know, you can go down through all the ones that every generation thought they had identified who the Antichrist was? No. Because the Antichrist is someone totally different. 
Okay, he, he's now about to be revealed for the evil that he really is. Um, and he has been involved throughout history, but he's always been behind the scenes. He's always been kind of working behind the scenes in these nations, but now he's coming center stage at this point. Okay, he's not going to work through someone. He's just going to be that someone. Okay, and he's going to be real. He, he will be human. He's always worked through humans before. Now he's going to come in the same way Christ did. He was God incarnate. This is going to be evil incarnate in human form and set himself up. That eighth king. Okay, then we see that there are ten horns in uh, verses 12 through 13. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. These ten kings have not yet come to power, but when they do, they're going to form an alliance with the beast and have authority for an hour. Okay? Now, this may very well be the group that we were talking about last week, that there were ones that, you know, the kingdoms that, that gathered together in, in uh, the valley of Megiddo for, for Armageddon and, and formed that alliance with the beast to strike up one final battle. Very good chance that these ten horns are that, are those, that group. Um, but again, symbolically represent the complete, we said ten is the complete number, power on the earth. Bill. Do you have any idea on whose arm is going to be quantified the one hour? I'm going to say it's one hour. If, if it, I'm going to say that it could very well be a literal hour. And we're going to find that out in, in verse 18. Or I mean in chapter 18. Because it talks about an hour again. Um, <clears throat> and so, ten horns. Then we have this final battle in, in verse 14. They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. <clears throat> okay? This is the, the picture of the final battle that we're actually going to look at next week. Um, chapter 19, verses 11 to 21, talks about this battle that he's referring to here. He's going to talk about it more in detail. So I'm going to save. I'm not going to do the spoiler alert, tell you how it ends. Okay, we're just going to have to wait. You can either read it yourself, and we'll talk about it, about it next week. Um, but this is the battle of Armageddon that we're seeing here. When these ten nations, these ten horns, kings, come together, form an alliance with the beast, set themselves up for an hour, they're given authority. And they wage war against the lamb, but the lamb overcomes, okay? They will make war against the lamb. And then we see the waters and the final destruction in verses 15 through 18. Then the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages, okay? So it's like all the rest of the people that have kind of been sucked into this worldly thinking. Um, not the kings, not those that are battling, but all the rest of the people, the beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Okay, so the, the, the waters are the people of the earth. And, and the beast is actually going to turn on the prostitute. Okay. So you have this, this prostitute, this, this world thinking, this, this personification of a worldview, 
and evil is going to basically turn upon itself. And that's what evil does. It's going to turn upon itself under God's direction. He gave them the power to do that in verse uh, for 17. For God has put it in their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give them the authority. And they're going to take that authority and they're going to turn it. Um, the beast is going to turn on the prostitute and, and seen really as evil turning upon itself. Um, so what once was the alliance was working together is now fighting one another. Um, and bringing about their own destruction. Uh, evil never builds up its host. It always destroys it. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. Um, and so evil always, if it enters in, always is going to eventually destroy its carrier. It's going to destroy whoever is following it, whoever has attached itself to it. So whoever is going to work with that line of thinking is going to eventually destroy. And it's going to be destroyed. It's going to, they're going to destroy itself. Um, kind of if you, if you remember in the Old Testament a number of times where Israel was going in and, and God struck uh, the, the other nation and they began killing one another and Israel really didn't have to do anything to win the battle. Kind of what we're going to see here. The, the evil the, the evilness is just going to turn on itself and destroy itself. Um, and there's not really a whole lot that, that has to be done. Um, evil really has an imploding factor. And, and it always destroys from within. And as soon as it captures the heart, it begins destroying from the inside out. Because God begins regenerating. God begins giving life, newness of life from the inside that's how that works. That's how uh, the enemy works. And all of this is the plan of God, to turn evil upon itself. God's sovereignty uh, as the powers of evil serve the purposes of God. And see, we got to understand that too, that this isn't something out of control. God is still sovereign in all of this. And that he's allowing things to happen because he knows what the end, in the end, it's just going to turn on itself and implode. And he says, so I'll protect the believers in the midst of all the chaos, of all of the evil transpiring and going on, and those that will separate themselves out, I will protect. And eventually, all of that's just going to turn on itself. God, and that's all part of God's heart. He's still in control of that. And I think sometimes we, me, I, <laughs> forget that. Because we think things are out of control. This from a human point of view. Yes. Right. Because God is other and we are us, to us things look like they're out of control. Oh, we've got to get this back. We've got to change that. We've got to change this. We've got... God's in control. That doesn't mean we stand idly by because there is work to be done until there is no more work to be done. And so we continue working, we continue living it out. But this is all part of God's plan. Then we have chapter 18, <clears throat> where after this, John says, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority given to him by God, no doubt. And the earth was illuminated by his splendor. So when he came down, things just kind of lit up. This was a, a bright light um, that followed him. 
And with a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. And so here we have this other angel and comes down and announces now Babylon's gone. At, at which point all God's people said, Wow. If you were here this morning, it's wow. Um, all right? That, that it's over. Uh, at this point, what John is seeing is the end. Now, we still have a few chapters to go because he's going to kind of unpack that, what that looks like. But here he says, fallen. Fallen is Babylon. Uh, after this war, Jesus has won. The Lamb is, is victorious. Isaiah chapter 13 says, she will never be inhabited or lived in through all generations. There there nomads will pitch their tents. There no shepherds will rest their flocks, but desert creatures will lie there. Jackals will fill her houses. There the owls will dwell, and there the wild goats will leap about. Hyenas will inhabit her strongholds, jackals her luxurious palaces. Her time is at hand, and her days will not be prolonged. Now, again, Isaiah is talking about Babylon and, and what is going to happen to her, but it also points farther ahead to this Babylon uh, when, when everything crashes and, and it's going to be a place where evil reign, where evil lives. There's going to be nothing good there. There's going to be nothing left there. Um, the reason for the desolation is because of her evil influence on the people of the earth. Uh, they have all chased after earthly, worldly gain and, and ignored God culminating in the worship of the beast. This is what they ultimately uh, have done. They've, they've come to the point where they were worshiping the beast. Um, and again, we, we talk about, and I said it before, there are only two objects of worship. You either worship the God, worship God, or you worship the world. Those, those are the only two choices. If you're worshiping anything but God, you are worshiping the world. There's only two. Um, and you, you can't go back and forth and ride the fence. And in the end, that's going to be made very plain. There's not going to be a question uh, as to which uh, side a person is on. So then we read in chapter 18, verses 4 through 8, Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as queen, I am not a widow, I will never mourn. Therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They will stand far off and cry, Whoa, whoa, great city of Babylon, city of power. In one hour, your doom has come. Yeah, I think that, the, and again, I, if the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense. Um, it, that whole battle could have been over in an hour. And so they were given authority to fight for an hour. And then in one hour, their doom was sealed. It was done. Um, and so... Uh, in answer to, to Bill's question, what is the hour? I think it could very well be a literal hour, um, a literal time period. 
uh, for that. So here we have another voice calling to God's saints to leave Babylon. So here this is directed at the saints. Um, And again, it's a call to separation, which has always been God's call to his people. It's always been a call to separate yourself, to, to leave, to separate yourself from the world. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. Okay? We live here, we reside here, but we don't think like it, act like it, be like it, partake in it. We're separate. We're called out. We are the called out ones, uh, is what the believers are to be. Uh, separated. That's the whole idea of sanctification is, is setting apart. And so if once we are saved, then we seek to be sanctified. And that is we are saved. Now it's time to live separate, to be different than the world. Um, and, and not be lured back in, not be seduced back in. Uh, but to understand who we are in Christ, to understand who God is, to understand who me, a child of God, this is the way I am, this is the way I think. We've been given the mind of Christ. We've been given everything we need for holiness. And the call is simply to just now live it. Live different. Be different. Be separate, the called out ones. Don't partake in her sin and you won't share in her consequences. Okay? If you don't partake in her sin, if you don't partake in the ways of the world, then you don't have to worry about suffering any of the consequences of the ways of the world, of the end result of what's going to happen. And so instead of seeing how close we can get, you know, my my mother-in-law had a magnet on a refrigerator that said, how much can I sin and still get away with? Um, Or still go to heaven or something like that. How much can I sin and still go to heaven? Uh, Instead of seeing how close we can get, let's see how far away we can get and still be effective in the world. Because I also have another phrase I learned in in Bible college that says some people are so heavenly minded they're of no earthly good. Um, That we can get so far separated that we can no longer relate, we're no longer relevant in the culture in which we are living in but not of. Because we're to be ambassadors of Christ. And so as an ambassador, I go into a culture that is not my own, and I represent Christ in that culture. And so here I am, an ambassador of Christ, living in this, separated, but I've been sent into, I've been called to go into this culture and represent Christ, which means I live as the world or I live as Christ. Who am I representing? And so that's in that you know, we have to constantly be watching. Again, we go back to the spiritual disciplines. That's, that is key. Key to being an ambassador of Christ because those spiritual disciplines really are just the way Christ lived. He was a man of prayer, of study, of the word, of solitude, of silence, of, of evangelism. And that's who Christ was. And so he's given us that example to follow, that we can be separated. We can be the called out ones. Um, So he's saying once more, leave, leave that city, call the separation. Uh, Her sins are piled high. Now the orders come to to pay back. Okay, now the end is going to, now the consequences are going to be poured out on them. Uh, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Now God's going to repay. For everything that she has done, for everything that the world system has done, they're going to be paid double back in the wrath of God. And, and he's saying, you don't want to be anywhere near that. When that comes, you flee, get out. If you're still around, head out of there. 
with that. Um, God's about to avenge the death of the saints. Remember those back, I think it was in chapter 4 or 5, those that were under the altar? Uh, fifth seal. I think it was the fifth seal. Those that were under the altar crying out, oh, when, how much longer, how much longer? Right now. Right now. God's going to avenge the blood of the martyrs, avenge the blood of the saints. Um, the whole thing is going to be over in a day, in an hour. Um, <clears throat> it's over. And then we see that there are three double woes. And I say double woes because they say woe, woe twice. Okay, woe, 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 woe. Um, you know, this, it's serious at, at the second woe. All right. The first woe gets your attention. The second one tells you what it's there for. Woe, woe, great city, O Babylon, city of power. First, we have this woe from the kings. Okay, because the kings were, were drawn in. They were sucked into it. And now they've turned on it, but it's too late. And so they say, woe to the great city, uh, O Babylon, city of power. In one hour, your doom has come. And then we have a woe from the merchants in verses 16 and 17. That, that the merchants were also sucked in because there was a pretty good livelihood if you followed the way of the world. You could make money. You could get rich. If you followed the way of the world, if you did, if you practice business the way the world practiced business, cut corners, uh, you know, treat people like dirt, you know, step all over them, climb that ladder, get to the top, hooray, hurrah. But now it's gone. And so the merchants are now crying, whoa, whoa, on that whole way of thinking. Uh, they relied on the great city and now it had been turned on them. And then there was woe from the sea captains who also had become rich from dealing with the world. Um, and then we see in, in chapters, in, in verse 21 through 24, I think I've said 17 all the way through. That should be 18 uh, there on the end. Um, 17, 21 to 24. It says, Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth but never, ever again. That should be good news to believers. That is the end. Now, we're going to get a really great picture in chapter 19 of, of this battle that goes on and, and of Jesus riding in and, uh, and conquering and, and finishing it all uh, with that. So next week, we're going to look at chapters 19 and 20. Uh, we'll get into... Uh, this, this battle, this final battle, um, and as Jesus comes, and then we're going to look at the millennium, that thousand years, that's going to be probably just as confusing when we leave as it is when we get there, okay? Um, because we're going to try to explain a thousand years in about six verses. I always say good luck with that. Um, but we're going to try to unpack that, get a little clearer picture of what that millennium looks like, what's going to happen during that, and then Satan's final doom and the dead are judged and then um, verses 20, or chapters 21 and 22, in two weeks, we'll end with that. That's the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth, okay? The new city of God. Um, and we'll begin to unpack all of that. So we have two more weeks left.
And uh, I appreciate you guys every week being out here um, and uh, sticking with it. It's not an easy book, but uh, there's a lot of great information and, and application to right now today uh, for us. Let me pray for you, and then you'll be dismissed. Father, we again are, are grateful that you're a God who reveals to us through special revelation, through your word, through general revelation, just as we can look around us and see truth. We can see this all beginning to play out and, and uh, uh, right before us and see your word active. And so, Father, we pray for, for courage. I pray that each one of us would become disciplined, that we would uh, take on uh, with, a, with a new seriousness these spiritual disciplines. And, Father, only through your Holy Spirit, give us the power and the courage to do them, to follow through and to, to be examples, to be the ambassadors that you've set us out to be that you have called us to be. Father, you have always called us to come, and then the next thing is go. So, Father, as we go tonight, would you send us out into a world that is mixed up, a world that has been lied to, that has been tricked, that has been deceived, that has been seduced, that we might be uh, a light of hope, a light of truth, and that people might see in us a different way to live, a right way to live. Father, may we go and plant, may we go and water, and then, Lord, would you give the increase? Would you do what only you can do and transform lives, change people until Jesus comes again? Father, we look forward to that day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.